begin with to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And this evening we're going to be talking about some of the events of the tribulation period. Now there in the book of the Revelation, basically from chapter 6 through chapter number 19, you have the details of the events of the tribulation period. Some of those, as you read through, you find are on the earth, and some of them are the events that are going on in heaven during those seven-year periods. John kind of goes back and forth as he's receiving these visions as to whether or not it is a heavenly vision or whether or not it's an earthly vision that he is receiving. And so this, these, uh, is where, this particular area is where we get most of the details from of what the tribulation is and, and the events that are going to go on. And we're not going to go through everything that we find there in the tribulation period. That would really be just a verse-by-verse study through the book of the Revelation. And that's not where I intend to go with this. I'm just teaching you the basics here of what the Scripture teaches us concerning the tribulation period. We've already discussed it's a seven-year period. It's a time full of horrors, uh, not only based upon those um, judgments that God is pouring out upon the earth at that time, but also the wickedness of man that is will be on the increase at that time. And then, of course, the, the kingdom and rulership of Antichrist and what kind of wickedness that's going to usher in during that seven-year period. And so we're going to look at just a quick overview tonight of some of these events of this period. Uh, And the first one we're going to be looking at, of course, is here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 7 and 8. We we read here, of course, we studied there in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, the rapture. And that's the next event that we're looking for. The the tribulation period immediately follows the rapture of the saints there. Um, And that being uh, the case here, we see Paul continues on with his thought in this second letter after he tells them of the rapture of the saints there in chapter number 4 of 1 Thessalonians. When he writes his second letter, he continues on and describes to the man of sin, which is Antichrist, and some of those things that are around his coming uh, and what's going to take place when he would come to power on the earth. We already studied how that the tribulation period is is marked for seven years. Uh, Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 9, and uh, as well as in Daniel chapter... 12, maybe. I've just went blank. Chapter, chapter 12. Where he divides it up into the days uh, of the first period and the second period of the tribulation period. But it is this after the rapture, then comes this seven year period. And during that seven year period, the Holy Spirit, who is holding back or restraining the power of sin, he's going to lift those restraints during that seven-year period. Now, I don't know how much he's going to lift them, but it just, based on what he's, he's going to let. And so I don't know what he's, he's going to let happen, what God declares will happen during that tribulation period. 
And so he is the restraining force now, restraining the power of sin, but he's going to remove his influence and wickedness will be unleashed during that tribulation period. Notice here in verse 7 of chapter 2, he says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. The Antichrist is not here yet. And he's not, he's not going to come until after we're called up to be with the Lord during that tribulation period. But the, the whole uh, movement behind him, the, the, the wickedness of this present evil world, as Paul puts it, this, this wickedness is already in place. Now it was in place now 2,000 years ago when Paul's writing this. And so this, this reality of the, the, the iniquity is already here. It's already there. And so we, we look at some of these things that are written, and we see some of these events and what's being described of Antichrist, what's being described of the people on the earth during the tribulation period. And, and at one time, we would scratch our heads and say, I can't believe people would do that. I can't believe that it would be that wicked that people would that people would find themselves submitting to putting a tattoo on their foreheads or on their hands or being marked in some way. I mean, it's just that's really would they? Yeah, they will. Yeah, <laughs> we see it all over the place today. And so this these things that at one time would seeming be seemingly uh, unlikely. Or, or, or a real stretch to bring these things to pass. What, what would have to be worked? We see it's not, it wouldn't take much to work it today. The, these things, are, this, this mystery of iniquity, he said that already work, it is already in the world in Paul's day, and it's only gotten worse in these 2,000 years. And he, he warns us of that, that it will indeed wax worse and worse as we draw closer to the coming of our Lord. And so he says here in verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And so the, the, the one who is restraining that he's describing here is the Spirit of God. And he, he's right now holding it back. But there is a time this, that will be during this tribulation period that he's going to remove those restraints so that wickedness can kind of just go on, uh, be released there. He says, Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. The wicked, he shall be revealed. He shall be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume. We, and you can read that in chapter 19, in the Lord's consuming of him when he comes in power and great glory. What happens to the Antichrist then, uh, as long also with the false prophet there as well, uh, that he will destroy with uh, the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him, he says, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And so during this time, this wickedness will be released 
And that will be followed by confusion, violence, immorality, sin that, that, we, that the world has never seen before. And it will, it will be the, in the natural order, this, this unleashed wickedness that will spread over the world at that time. And it's, at, this would have already taken place is what Paul is describing to us. This would have already overrun everything if not for the Spirit of God holding it back. And He's still holding it back today as well. But it will be during that tribulation period that He will lift those restraints and allow that wickedness to come forth in a a manner in which this world has never seen. And so, likewise, confusion, violence immorality, the worst of wickedness that we can imagine, and it's going to be everywhere, all over. This is what will take place in this tribulation period. Now this state of moral, spiritual, and political anarchy that takes place during that time, will provide Satan with a perfect window of opportunity to bring this guy, the wicked, as he's called there in verse number 8, to bring him into place, to unveil the Antichrist, as the Scripture has warned us of. Because it's going to be, when when you have a rapture of such that's being described there in chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, it's going to cause turmoil on this world. I mean, it's, it, even if there's just a remnant of us that's going to be raptured at the coming of the Lord, it's still going to unleash a great deal of trouble on the earth at immediately following that rapture event. And so it's going to cause some, some destruction uh, in the order of things. And in that messed up order will be that perfect window for Satan to to, uh, surge in power in this world during that seven year period. And he will appear to the spiritually dead world to have all the answers. This wicked one, when he is revealed, he's going to appear to this spiritually dead world. This guy knows everything that we need to know. This guy has got it all in place. This guy is going to take care of it. This guy is going to straighten everything up. This guy is going to heal our world. This guy has got our back. We're in good shape now with this guy. And they're going to believe him. They're going to follow him. They're going to listen to the things that he declares. He will appear to be a genius to this world. He's going to be a man of eloquence who is able to deceive unlike any other politician we've ever heard of. Daniel chapter 7, verse number 20 says that he will have a mouth that speaks very great things. A mouth that speaks very great things. Here in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. 
lying wonders. So the things that he's doing, the things that it's going to appear to the world as things that are good or things that are better for mankind, things that looks like is going to be for the benefit of man, they're all lies. And man's going to fall for them. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Here these verses describe to us the deceitfulness of the Antichrist. He will proclaim, again, to have all the answers, to solve all the world's problems, and the world's going to believe him. They're going to follow after him. And for a time, under his leadership, that particularly that first three and a half years, it will seem that the world will prosper under his reign. Some of the things that he said is going to come to pass will come to pass even while these judgments are being poured out. Those judgments are going to drive them farther toward the Antichrist. It's going to drive them more so to believe these this strong delusion, this lie, so that they would follow him in this destructive path that he's going to lead the world in. Daniel chapter 8. Hold your place here. Go back with me to Daniel chapter number 8 and verse number 25. <coughs> Daniel chapter 8, verse number 25. Let me read verse uh, 23. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the fool, a king of fierce countenance and understanding, dark sentences, shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. That word craft there means deceit. And so he's, he's going to not only be a liar himself, but he's going to cause more lies to carry forward, you see. And so he's going to cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So he's going to destroy many by peace. 
They're, they're going to follow Him. They're going to believe Him. They're going to give themselves to this guy and through that be damned. He's going to craft or work deceit to lie to them and they will believe his lie. His greatest accomplishment during his rule will be the peace treaty that he will sign with Israel at the beginning of this tribulation period, and it is a seven year peace treaty that he signs. Verse number chapter nine, verse number twenty seven uh, tells us of this. Daniel tells us the seventy weeks pertaining to Israel's future. Most of those are in their past now. The only one left is the 70th week, the last week. Those last week of seven years, that is the tribulation period itself. And Daniel describes that here in verse number 27. He says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, or that seven-year period. Same word for weeks as he's been using there from verse 20 on. And so for a seven-year period, he's going to confirm a covenant. And in the midst of the week, of the two-and-a-half, or three-and-a-half-year period there, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined, shall be poured Upon the desolate. So, what that tells us here during that time frame, Israel will have a peace treaty with him, it seems, and in the middle of that peace treaty, he's going to break, the Antichrist is going to break that treaty and take over Israel. In fact, the scripture tells us that he's going to set himself up in the temple of God and declare himself to be God. So, this, this, uh, tells us that in some form, during the tribulation period, there's going to be some form of a temple built. I don't know what it's going to be or what it's going to look like. They're going to proceed with sacrifices again, which they have not done since 70 A.D. And so they're going to, they're going to start the sacrifices again. And then at that three and a half year mark, he's going to stop those sacrifices. And he's going to proclaim himself God. It will be at that time that Israel will recognize this is not our God. This is not the one we are to follow. This is not our Messiah. And we'll talk a little bit more about this as we we go on in reference to who he is and and what the scripture speaks of him uh, as far as his person is concerned. Uh, But I, I believe that he's probably going to be at least part Jew. Uh, the, the scriptures call him the Assyrian, so it may be that he is only half Jew, uh, but there are many that believe he's coming from the tribe of Dan. Uh, and that, I found that interesting. To, uh, in fact, I was just studying that today a little bit, but there are many that think that he's coming from the tribe of Dan, and that's the reason Dan is not included in the, the 144,000 that's mentioned there in, in Revelation chapter 7, of those 12,000 from each tribe of Israel, the tribe of Dan is not mentioned there. 
Um, and, they, and we see, in fact, Dan, the nation of Dan, or the, the tribe of Dan, excluded on many occasions throughout the Old Testament. And because of that, there are those that believe that they kind of foreknew or foresaw that this guy was going to come out of the tribe of Dan, and so they kind of ostracized them, if you will. I don't know about, I just, that's one of the speculations, and that's interesting that particular speculation. But in order for them to follow him, the Jews, in order for them to think that he could possibly be their Messiah, that means he would have to be at least part Jew for them to believe such. And so uh, that, it is at this time when he, when he causes the sacrifice and oblation to cease and he desolates the temple there and sets himself up as God on the throne of God that's when they will realize, no, this is not, we've been lied to. This is not who we are to follow. And it's at this point that they are really going to be going into hiding. And that's when this abomination of desolation, or Jacob's trouble, as the scripture calls it, will be so fierce on the nation of Israel at this three and a half year period. It is also during that time when there will be kingdoms rising up uh, during that tribulation period. And, of course, Antichrist will come out of those kingdoms that rise up uh, as kingdoms come together. Uh, Now, many believe that it's uh, going to be a confederation of European states uh, that will be at the, the forefront of this new economy that will come into place. And that's very possible. I don't, I don't know exactly for sure who those nations are going to be. There's some hints that are given to us in the scripture that it could very well be European states that are uh, the, the primary groups of that uh, time. And there's a whole lot of stuff, uh, especially around the European Union, that would point to some scriptures uh, that's just, ooh, that's really going on. They really have that, you see. And so there, there's, there's some things that would stand out that this could indeed be uh, exactly what the Scripture's talking about. Uh, but there will be a global religion that will come forth out of that that's going to be established, and it's going to be headed by a false prophet. This false prophet... He's going to be the lackey of the Antichrist. And he's going to build this religion. And he is during this, this time, he's going, to be, he's going to be trying to bring the whole world into a worship of the Antichrist. And we read there in Revelation 13. Go back and look with me there. Revelation chapter number 13. And look, verse 11 down through verse number 17. Revelation 13, verse 11 through verse 17 says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and caused the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. 
And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six, or six hundred and sixty-six. So that is the number of his name. And the uh, Hebrew alphabet, as well as the Greek alphabet, every letter has a, a numerical value. And so his name apparently adds up to 600, 3, 4, and 6. Now, there's a whole lot of English names that add up to 300, or 600, 3, 4, and 6. Some of your all's names might add up to that. I don't know. Uh, but but that's, uh, that's English. That's not Hebrew, and it's not Greek. Uh, and so don't be going home trying to figure out what your name adds up to, because that's the wrong... That's the wrong letters that you're using there, okay? Uh, so his, his mark will be forced upon the world at that time. And that mark, he, he tells us there where it's going to be, and it, it, it's going to be everybody that has to receive it, great, rich, poor, free, and bond. And that mark will be on their, in their right hand or in their foreheads. That's where it's going to be. Nobody is going to have this mark by accident. Understand that. Nobody's going to have this by They're going to freely take this mark for the worship of this beast. They're going to freely take it. And they'll take it on their forehead. Again, I don't know what the mark itself is going to look like, but it will be one of those three things. It will be his mark, his name, or the number of his name. It'll be one of those three things. It won't be the COVID vaccination. That's not what it is. It's not. It, it might include or be a part of some kind of microchip that they put in you, but it's not going to be the microchip itself. So if the doctor says we're going to put a microchip in here to check your heart and see how your heart's doing, that's not the mark of the beast. It's okay. You'll be all right. Okay. This they when they give this during that tribulation period. When it is given, it is clear to those receiving it what they are doing. They are giving themselves to the beast. That's what they are doing there. They are showing their allegiance and their worship for him by taking that mark on their forehead or upon their right hand. And they will, they will gladly take it in order to be able to buy and sell, as the scripture says to us, uh, which uh, no one will be able to without that mark. Now, we see also 
in Revelation 11, that in the first part of this tribulation period, we see the ministry of the two witnesses. Now the Scripture tells us that their their ministry is the ministry of Moses and Elijah. Um, now, whether it's Moses and Elijah, or whether it's two other fellows that's doing exactly like Moses and Elijah do, I don't know. I think it's going to be Moses and Elijah. That's, kind of what I, that's, that's how I view it. But the reason it's particularly, it says that their, their ministry is like Moses and Elijah is because one of them keeps the rain from coming and the other one brings the plagues upon the earth. Moses brought the plagues upon the earth. Elijah kept the rain from falling on the earth for three and a half years. And so that's, that's particularly the reason those two are made mention of because it's the very same thing they did during their ministry that's going to be done during that tribulation period. It's particularly going to stand out to the Jews. They're going to recognize those references. Uh, Elijah keeping the rain back. Moses bringing the plagues that were brought. There's going to be this is going to be their ministry there in the first part of that seven year period. And in fact, they're going to they're going to be witness there for forty two months. Notice verse number three of chapter eleven, Revelation eleven and verse number three. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand. Two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Twelve hundred and sixty days, that's three and a half years, that they are going to be prophesying there in Jerusalem. They're going to be declaring these things. And it says there, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Previously the vision John was receiving. And he says, if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. <laughs> so there's not going to be people messing with them very much, I would say, uh, when fire comes out of their mouths and consumes those that come against them. But this is going to be their their particular time of ministry, those first three and a half years. And they're going to witness of the name of the Lord Jesus, and Antichrist is going to hate them and wage war against them as much as he can. Verse number, uh, let's see, going down to verse number six, there it says, These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And so this is the very things Elijah and Moses both did during their own ministries. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And so the Lord's going to allow them to be killed at that 42-month period. Because this is what's keeping Antichrist from taking power, is these two witnesses. And so he's going to prevail over them, he's going to kill them, and their bodies, their dead bodies rather, shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom, 
and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified. That's Jerusalem. That's where they're going to be. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Well, I mean, one is, is keeping the rain from coming, the other is causing plagues to come down upon them, and whenever they go and try to confront them, they breathe fire out of their mouths and destroy them. I mean, the world could not stand these two and the witness that they were proclaiming. And so they rejoice at the death of these two. And not only do they rejoice, but they send gifts one to another. They make a new holiday. We go, it's not birthday, it's not Christmas time, it's the death of the two witnesses day. And they, they're going to send gifts to one another. They're rejoicing because these two men are dead. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood up stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Now, God calls them up by come up hither. In chapter 4 of Revelation, John in his vision hears that, that declaration, Come up hither. At that point in the book of the Revelation, this is just a side note, at that point in the book of the Revelation, there's no more mention of the church on this earth. We see that mentioned in chapter 2, in chapter 3, as he's writing the letter to the seven churches there of Asia, immediately beginning in chapter 4, we hear the come up hither, and they are no longer here on the earth, but rather they are in heaven around the throne of God. This begins in chapter 6, this this. Our earthly vision of John, and from chapter 6 of the Revelation all the way through chapter 19, at the beginning of chapter 19, you see this tribulation period happening on the earth at this time. And so the same, the same declaration is made, the same command is given, come up hither, that we find in chapter 4, is said also here in chapter 12, and these two ascend up into glory. As their enemies saw them go. Okay. Now, this ministry, uh, along with the ministry of the two witnesses, there's going to be some other fellows saved. And that are going to go out as missionaries. And we've already made mention of them there in chapter number 7. Uh, we have here these 144,000 Jews that are going to go forth and be witnesses. There's 12,000 of them from each tribe of Israel. And he says there in verse 4 concerning them of chapter 7, he says, And I heard the number of them which were sealed... And there were sealed in 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel, of the tribe of Judah, were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Reuben, were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Gad, were sealed 12,000 
of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Nephtalim, were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Manassas, were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Simeon, were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Levi, were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Issachar, were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Zebulun, were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Joseph, were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Benjamin, were sealed 12,000. And so out of those 12 tribes, you see Dan is replaced by Manasseh, which is the son of Joseph. And so this, this is one of his that are made that 12th tribe there. And it is of these 12 tribes, these 144,000 are chosen from, and they will go forth to proclaim the gospel of Christ and the coming of his kingdom to this world. However, they're going to be martyred during the tribulation period. We go over to chapter 14, and we see what happens to them there in chapter, chapter 14, verse 4 and 5. And it makes mention of them here. It says, these are they, it tells us it's the 144,000 in verse number 3, which were redeemed from the earth. And then he goes on to say, verse 4, These were they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. These were beheaded, it says, for the Lord's sake. And uh, they, uh, during the tribulation period, this was done. Um, and we see them then in heaven at that point uh, with the rest of us, the rest of the crowd, while the tribulation period is going on on the earth. Now the last three and a half years is going to be a terrible time. Uh, after uh, Antichrist comes into full power here. And we see in Revelation 12 and verse 12, it says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. He knoweth he hath but a short time. Satan is cast out of heaven and hell is unleashed on the earth and the abomination of desolation begins. As Matthew 24 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 declare to us those judgments during the seven year tribulation are revealed to us there in Revelation 6 and Revelation 8 and Revelation 16. You have the the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven vials. And we don't have time to go into all of those tonight. But each one of those are particular, are unleashing particular events on the earth at that time. Particular plagues that are being brought during that tribulation period in which God is going to pour out these judgments upon the earth. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven vials. And as the tribulation progresses so does the intensity and the severity of the judgment that's being poured out. These judgments are the Lord's wrath uh, being poured out, and it's not the wrath of Satan. Now we read just here that Satan is angry too. 
And he's the one that's going to be going to be proclaiming and doing this wickedness in the world. And so there's going to be great wrath on his part as he works this wickedness in the earth at the time. But these things that are being poured out, that is from the wrath of God as he pours out. We see there in Revelation 16 and verse number 1, he says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And so this is God's wrath being poured out during this seven-year tribulation period, particularly the last three and a half, as he pours out this, these vials of wrath. And after the judgment, as the tribulation goes on, after the judgment of religious and political Babylon, we can read that there in chapter 17 and 18, uh, speaking of God's judgment on this religion and this political movement that takes place during that time. The Antichrist is going to gather his forces and make his way to the valley of Megiddo to do battle against the Lord Jesus. Revelation 16 and verse 16 tells us, And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon, or the valley of, or I'm sorry, the mountain of Megiddo. And the scripture tells us specifically in the, the book of uh, Ezekiel, for instance, he talks about this valley of Megiddo where this battle will take place. And it's there that this battle will go forward, particularly uh, against Israel, who are fleeing for safety. Uh, we read in Revelation 14, verse 14 down through verse 20, John has a vision of this battle. And it, it, it's, more, it's more of a war that's going on that ends with this battle here at Armageddon. And it says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him, that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and, on the, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry, to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse's bridle by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. And so this, this battle is going to create such bloodshed. There's going to be so many people 
that are going to be in this area. John describes it here that the blood is going to flow to the horse's bride. What does that mean? I believe it means that there's going to be blood flowing to the horse's bride. It's the only way I can take it. The only way I can interpret it is exactly as John described it. The interesting thing is from the valley of Megiddo comes into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and the valley of Jehoshaphat comes into the Jordan Valley, and the Jordan Valley runs right on down to where? The Red Sea. Nobody knows why that sea is called the Red Sea. But it will be made red by the time all this blood flows down to it there through these valleys there. And so this this blood, he says, is going to be to the horse's bridles uh, from this, this wrath of God being poured out upon the armies at, that come against him at this time. Of course, you can read, this is John's vision of it in, in chapter 14 of what's going to take place. Chapter 20, he's received another vision here of exactly how it's going to happen. They're not going to actually pick them up and put them in a wine press, but rather it's going to be the Lord Jesus coming and he's going to speak there as he says in verse 11 down through verse number 16, particularly of chapter 19, and he's describing in his coming that his out from his mouth will go a sharp sword and with it he should smite the nations and he's going to destroy them with his word as it comes forth out of his mouth. And these armies will be consumed before him, and their flesh will be left on the battlefield for the birds to eat the flesh of those that would come against the Lord there. This then will begin the millennial reign that we see there in chapter number 20. Those first several verses there, um, all the way down to verse 7, Verse 1 through verse 7 describes that thousand year period six times in those first seven verses. Thousand years is declared to us there that the Lord will reign before the events at the end of chapter 20 take place, which will be Satan's judgment and then the judgment of the world at that point, the final great white throne judgment. The darkness of the tribulation is going to give way to the glorious light of the Lord Jesus there in chapter 19. And though it will be the darkest time of man's existence on earth, it will give way to the most glorious and wonderful reign of righteousness that this world has never seen before. Again, we don't wait to see these events to begin. Rather, we know the next event is the rapture of the saints, and that's what we are looking for. He's given us these these realities. He's told us what these events will be so that the world can be warned that these things are coming, and it's coming upon this world, and you don't want to be here when it comes. Uh, but rather you want to be with your Savior. And so believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This day believe. Don't wait for Antichrist to be revealed.
All right, let's all stand and we'll be dismissed.